The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey everybody, welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Happy Wednesday, glad to have you with me today. And this is going to be a somewhat truncated version of the program today in that obviously uh, we've been caught up in a lot of different things going on. The NAACP convention is here in Detroit. We had a number of presidential candidates who are here uh, trying to encourage people to get out and vote and support them in this upcoming election. Uh, there's still some events going on this afternoon that we're going to be taking a look at, so we'll talk a little bit more about that on tomorrow's program. Uh, also, today, of course, you have the hearings with Robert Mueller. We'll talk a bit about that. And also, we're going to talk a bit about Paul Mitchell, his decision to step down from Congress after just two terms after succeeding Candace Miller in a big chunk of Macomb County. We'll talk a little bit about that and how these things all tie together. That's coming up on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Stick around. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, thanks for checking out the show today. All right, so I'm recording this right now. Today on Wednesday, it's probably about 1225. Just finished up the first of two hearings involving Robert Mueller today. And I thought this was an interesting uh, exercise this morning, watching Robert Mueller who did his best to stay within what he called the four corners of the report that he already put out there. Democrats clearly using this as an opportunity to restate some of the things that he said about potential obstruction of justice. Republicans, of course, taking the opportunity to suggest that this whole thing was flawed from the start and also taking digs at Robert Mueller's credibility. That was to be expected. And the interesting thing about this was, you know, you obviously had Democrats really hoping that maybe there would be a way to pry something out of Bob Mueller that was not there before. And I don't think they necessarily succeeded in that regard. But the one thing they did succeed at was, again, getting him to state whether he agreed with the things that were in the report. So they would read it and he would say, that's true or yes. Or in some cases, I can't answer that or won't answer that. And that's to be expected when you have a number of investigations still ongoing that may be impacted by some of the answers he gives today. But from, from the Democrats' perspective, this was important because a lot of people don't go through a 400-page report. Or maybe they had basically heard William Barr's uh, report on it and suggested, well, there's no collusion, no obstruction. Clearly, that's not the case. There were some instances that could be construed as obstruction of justice, depending on whether or not you want to look at it that way. And that's my whole point here. The lines on this issue have been drawn for a long time. So the notion that there was going to be any sort of bombshell that came out of this today, that just was never going to be there. But what it did do is state on the record a number of things that were in the report that people maybe did not get a chance to read. And that was the whole reason the Democrats wanted this to be out there, so that they could have this big hearing that would be covered on all the news networks and basically would focus on those things that they wanted people to know about what he found in the report. Republicans 
I think, used this occasion very, very well to state their point that maybe this investigation was flawed to begin with and at least plant seeds of doubt in people's minds about the impartiality of the team that Bob Mueller put together. I think they were very effective at that. Whether you agree with that or not, I think my assessment is is pretty accurate in that regard. But I also don't think there's a whole lot of people out there that could be swayed either way at this point. Again, the lines have been drawn on this issue. People made up their minds a long time ago, even before this report came out, whether Bob Mueller was going to find some smoking gun against the president or whether this thing was cockamamie from the start and a witch hunt. People's minds have been made up. Now, maybe there are a few people whose eyes were open today, one way or the other, about what this report says and about the behavior of this president and whether or not there are some offenses in here that could be deemed impeachable and whether or not the Democrats want to pursue that. But this did not have anything out there that's going to perceptibly move public opinion one way or the other. I think people have made up their minds on this one a long time ago. It still was an important exercise. I was glad to watch it. I'll be watching the one this afternoon, which is why this is going to be a short podcast today. But it was important that this was out there. And again, I don't think minds were changed in many instances. Maybe a few, but probably not a ton. But I hope I hope everybody left there learning a little bit more about what is in this report, what it actually says, and that we can basically throw away this no collusion, no obstruction nonsense because there's not a total exoneration here. There's a lot of cloudy behavior and questions, frankly, on on the part of some of the investigators and questions on the part of the president and his team about their behavior. The world is often quite muddy, and this report suggests that there is a lot of mud out there and that it's cloudy, and it's dirty, and there's weird stuff that's going on. doesn't mean that it's necessarily illegal or impeachable. But it is not this pure exoneration, but it is also not basically a smoking gun suggesting that there is evidence, complete and solid evidence, that wrongdoing took place. Most of us have made up our mind already on what the president did or did not do. Our opinion's not going to change. Now, that intransigence... The fact that most of our minds were made up before we even went into this thing, I think is really, really important in this regard. You just had Paul Mitchell announce that he is not going to seek re-election. He's going to finish out this term and be gone. So Paul Mitchell basically just said, two terms and I'm out. He said it was never his intention to make Congress his career, but I think this is a little bit surprising given how strong a Republican district this is. His chances of re-election were virtually guaranteed. Of course, he represents the 10th, which is the thumb and a big chunk of Macomb County, reliably Republican territory. So barring some sort of a primary challenge, uh, there was very unlikely that anybody was going to beat him. And whether I agree with Paul Mitchell's positions or not, I don't have any reason to think he's not an honorable man. I haven't seen anything to suggest that, uh, you know, he is a, a guy like a Louis Gohmert, who I've been very critical of in the past, or a Steve King from Iowa, somebody like that. He is not one of those people. He seems to have been going into Congress for the right reasons. But how quickly these representatives become jaded by their experience. The fact that we have drawn such partisan lines and the cooperation almost does not exist and that we can't even come to an agreement on what facts are in Washington is basically part of the reason he suggested he's going to leave. Here's what he said. Quote, My mission has always been to simply address significant challenges this nation faces. Trade, health care, immigration, and infrastructure, to name just a few. However, it appears to me that rhetoric overwhelms policy and politics consumes much of the oxygen in this city. Now, we've known that about Washington, D.C. for a long time. Politics rules the roost there. It is the camp. It's the capital 
right? There are supposed to be politics there. But we've gotten to a point where the stagnation in relationships has led to gridlock. The fact that Democrats keep passing things and, and, and uh, they won't even be brought up in the Senate for consideration at this point in time. And that's gone back both ways, back and forth. We've gotten into an increasingly partisan atmosphere. But the fact is, Paul Mitchell's only 62 years old. He could have spent as much time in Congress as he wanted. If he thought he was making some sort of progress towards the things he wanted to work on, he would probably stick around. Yeah, it does take time away from your family, and it does take time away from your home. But it's also an honor to serve in Congress. And when you're elected to a position like that, I mean, you know, there's an obligation that you have there. And I would like to see him stick around, frankly, not because I particularly like his positions, but again, he seemed like a pretty honorable guy. And when somebody like that steps away from the fold, it's a loss for everybody, because who's going to jump into that seat? Who's going to run in that primary? Who's going to sit there and seek it? What are we going to get? Now, Paul Mitchell was one of just a handful of Republicans to be critical of President Trump's remarks that I have branded as racist in recent weeks, in uh, recent days, I should say. And that has nothing to do with my opinion on him leaving. What bothers me about his leaving is the fact that it speaks volumes about the toxic atmosphere in Washington right now. The same sort of toxic atmosphere that will contaminate state and local politics if we are not careful where the other side is automatically evil and not somebody to be trusted no matter, no matter what the issue is. That working across the aisle is something that is seen as dangerous and difficult. But when you have intransigent on such huge issues, we can't get anything done on immigration right now. We can't get anything done on infrastructure. We certainly aren't coming to agreement anytime soon on things like taxation. These huge issues that plague us, things that need investment, health care, didn't even mention health care again. These are things that need to be addressed, and we need some sort of trust and some sort of faith. And when good people of either party decide to step away because they don't think it's possible anymore, that should bring off alarm bells for all of us. This is something we should be concerned about and worried about. Paul Mitchell, again, don't, do, don't agree with him just about anything. We have completely different philosophies on what government's role is and what our responsibility should be. But he did seem like somebody that would be willing to listen somebody that would be willing to work across the aisle if he thought there was going to be a compromise that could be reached that would be beneficial for his constituents. And when you lose that kind of person, it's a problem for us all. So I wanted to sort of fold that into this. And then I also wanted to fold in what's happening in Detroit right now, this NAACP convention that is going on. Because, again, if anybody was looking for the Mueller situation to sort of solve the Donald Trump problem, or all of a sudden give the Democrats consensus on whether to go after impeachment hearings or not, they didn't, didn't happen today. That didn't happen today. It may have strengthened a couple of people's resolve to go after the guy. It may have actually pushed some people further away from this notion for fear of political repercussions. So it's becoming increasingly clear to me that for those that would like to see Donald Trump leave office, they're going to have to come up with a candidate that can beat him in November of 2020. I don't see a situation where impeachment leads to his removal from office because the Democrats can sit there and impeach him in the House. The Senate's not going to take it up unless there is just something there that is just beyond the pale. And we haven't seen that. And I know that people don't necessarily want to hear this, but the fact is, is that it's becoming increasingly likely that the only way for Donald Trump to leave office before two terms are up is to beat him after the first term. So you have major, major candidates uh, on the Democratic side who are all here for the NAACP convention. And I think that's a really, really important 
thing to have here because Michigan is going to play a critical, critical role in this next election. And the Democrats need to make sure that voters in the city of Detroit in particular, in Flint, and Saginaw, minority voters get out to the polls and vote to support somebody. African-American support is critical. We saw the difference it played. They did not show up for Hillary Clinton in the last election, certainly not anywhere near the numbers they did for Barack Obama in the previous two. And it cost the Democrats dearly. Losing Michigan, losing Wisconsin, losing Pennsylvania, that's what tipped the election. So Michigan is going to have an incredibly big focus here. So you've got all these candidates here today. They're all coming back for a debate next week, which is actually going to be hugely important as well as they call this field. But it is important that this field get whittled down a little bit before that, because right now you've still got 20-plus people in this race. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the way it is right now. It should be. But at some point, at some point, we need to see who can actually get people to come together on the Democratic side, because there are probably two or three major factions within the Democratic Party right now. And getting them to unite behind different candidates is not going to be easy. But if we can energize the city... We can energize a lot of those voters that just sat it out last time. That's going to be hugely important for anybody that would like to see Donald Trump not have a second term. And that includes Republicans. There's a number of Republicans who have been writing columns or or leaving the party who are suggesting that they would like anybody, somebody, anybody that they could get behind to beat Donald Trump. Now, I don't think the Democrats should necessarily all of a sudden go for a massive centrist candidate because they think it's going to you know win over suburban voters. You know, most of these suburban voters, they always talk about the Reagan Democrats. They haven't been Democrats since Ronald Reagan. They've been Republicans for a long time. Now, moderate Republicans who don't like this guy, maybe you can pick off a few of them, but most of them are going to toe the line. They're going to vote for the party that they think is going to benefit them and the pocketbook. That's the way most voters think about these sorts of things. But Democrats can win a state like Michigan if participation numbers are where they need them to be. If they can motivate people to get off their butts and get out and vote, they could turn the state again. And it's the same thing in places like Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin. Get people excited around a candidate. Reach out to these voters in a way that maybe they didn't get reached out to last time. I think we learned the lesson of what can happen when people stay home. And that's not always the fault of the voter. Yeah, I'm always on people to vote. Exercise your rights. It's hugely important. But if you can't get a message out there that inspires somebody to take a couple of hours out of their day and go vote in a national election, then maybe, just maybe that message needs to be sharpened a little bit. And you need to say something that is actually appealing to people, that they want to get behind. Having 20 candidates in the field gives everybody a wide choice. But if your choice doesn't emerge here, that doesn't mean you get to sit home. The infighting is certainly not going to work. So it's an exciting time to be a voter here in Michigan because you've got everybody's attention. They're listening to us for the first time in a long time. Not necessarily because we have the first in the nation primary. We don't. But this state is going to be critical, critical when it comes to the next election. The person that wins Michigan will likely win the next election in the United States. And to see this much attention being focused on our community and our town and our sit, our state is, is fantastic. I think, it's, I think it's great. At the same time, it's coming at a very, very critical time in our politics. A message of unity, a message of cooperation, and a spirit that maybe, maybe compromise is acceptable in the right situations could go a long way towards getting Michiganians 
or Michiganders, I know it's officially Michiganders, but I like Michiganians, getting them to actually coalesce around a candidate. Let's hope. Let's hope that the the exposure that Michigan is going to have, the visits from the candidates, will give them an opportunity to let voters get to know them a little bit, their positions, and that we can agree on some fundamental things in the middle. You're not going to agree on everything. No candidates ever do. I don't even care if they're from the same party. It's very rare. But we can't have a situation where if your person doesn't win, you take your ball and go home. We've seen what that leads to. And we've seen the divisiveness, and we've seen the results of that divisiveness, the gridlock, the anger, the animosity that exists, families being split apart by politics, and whether or not you support this guy. We can't have that. We've got to do better. And if the president's reelected, he's going to have to try to do better. I'm not sure he can, but he's going to have to, because this cannot continue to go on. When we lose people like Paul Mitchell, who want to serve their country, But they don't do it because the politics are too corrosive, too acidic, too angry, too bitter. Then we've got a problem. So basically what it means is that we all have to open our minds to a lot of different candidates, a lot of different possibilities, a lot of different ideas. And if you're feeling the burn and you think that he's going to get burned again, so that's going to turn you off, or you're feeling for, uh, you know, Kamala Harris or, or Pete Buttigieg or any of these people and they don't win and you're just, you know, then sad or disaffected in some capacity, well, you know, you're going to have to suck it up and figure out whether there's somebody better out there that you can vote for. But the thing is, you got to get out there and actually do it. And if you don't, well, we'll have more of this, I have a feeling. And after watching that hearing today, I'm not feeling particularly good about where we are as a nation. After reading the news about Paul Mitchell, not feeling particularly good about where we are as a nation. We can do better than this. I think we will. But we might have to beat ourselves up in the process. Anyway, I've got more hearings to watch today. I've got candidates to check out. Some conversations to have over the next few days with some people who are watching this very carefully. And some voters out there that I want to talk to. So, enjoy the rest of your day. It is beautiful in Detroit today, absolutely gorgeous. So take some solace in that, that at least we've got a nice day outside. Because if you watch too much of this stuff, you might not be feeling so great. Anyway, enjoy it. We'll talk again tomorrow. I appreciate you being with me. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. As always, I appreciate you listening. Feel free to get back to me. The Craig Folly Show at gmail.com is the easiest way to do it, but you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, Snapchat, and also on, um, what else, Instagram. Yeah, we're all over those places. So anyway, reach out to me. Let me know what you want to talk about, and I do appreciate all of the support. It has been tremendous, and I, I really great to see these numbers going where they are and how many of you are finding me once again because I was gone for a little while, and I'm happy to be back. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.